Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey TCC, I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 to chapter 3 verse 18. It says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of a letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God. Hey, Lord, be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. I've missed you over these last couple weeks. It is good to be back, and especially good to be back without our friend, the Mosquito. The end is drawing upon us, the end of 2022 that is. Thanksgiving is in four, yes, four days. Christmas is barely a month away. Then it'll be Easter, then summer, and our beloved bloodthirsty friends will be back buzzing away. Pastor Shane is excited. We are wrapping up many things today, including our five-week sermon series that has led us to be introduced to and reminded of the five solas of Protestantism. These are five Latin phrases that have been formulated over the last few hundred years, beginning in the Protestant Reformation some 500 years ago. 
These five solas help point us back to the heart and soul of the Christian faith. Sola Scriptura, Solas Christus, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, and today, Soli Deo Gloria. Five core tenets of the Christian faith. Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, and today, to God be the glory alone. And to wrap up the whole series, the Apostle Paul has a question for us in our passage from 2 Corinthians. And the question can be summed up like this. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? That's the question. I got back from Israel recently, which was incredible, but it involved a lot of eating. Three square meals a day, every day. And our eating was often wrapped around a hike, or it was all of a sudden, food was in front of you in the middle of the day, or maybe you arrive at a buffet and everyone's at different phases of eating and you just needed some introverted time alone. Well, in the midst of all this eating were two and a half weeks where I wrestled with giving thanks before the meal. Even if you're not a Christian, you can probably relate with this practice on some level. Next week, Thursday, whether you're a Christian or not, someone will probably give thanks in some capacity before everyone dives into Thanksgiving. And so on this trip in Israel, sometimes, like John and Jackie Skeenstra, I was on it. I'd thank God for the food, for the trip, for the beauty of his creation, and then I'd eat with a clear conscience. Other times I'd be so preoccupied, I would just start eating, not thinking twice about saying a word of thanks. And other times I'd sort of think, you know, I'm already in the Holy Land. Food's probably already blessed, so I'm I'm probably okay. I'm an imperfect person. Now, whether we really feel it or not, no matter how much we really mean it or not, this practice of giving thanks is an interesting one. And it's interesting because it actually points us to the answer of the question, who do you belong to? I'm a big sports fan, and something similar happens at the end of a game or a competition. I want to thank my teammates, my coaches, my trainer, the the locker room attendant, The list can be almost hilariously extensive. We see this all the time as well with actors or musicians at the Academy Awards or at the Grammys. And the common thread, whether you're taking a moment before eating, you've just won the Super Bowl, or you've won the award for Best Supporting Actress, it has to do with glory. More importantly, who gets the glory? Something has happened or something is about to happen. Whether it's the small accomplishment of lunch or the large accomplishment of global success, some mountaintop has been or will in a moment be reached. So who gets the credit? And if we can answer that question, we can answer the broader question presented to us today. Who do you belong to? The Apostle Paul presents us with this very question in our passage. uh, And in our passage, he's sorting it out himself. Paul is writing his second letter to the Christian church in the ancient city of Corinth. And in our passage, after his opening words about his travels, Paul dives right into our discussion on glory in chapter 2, verse 14. When he writes, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. And now, in our 21st century context... If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, words about captives and aromas may sound strange. In our 21st century context, if you are familiar with the Bible, words about captives and aromas may sound strange. But if you lived in first century Corinth, 
these words would need no explanation because you would have lived these words out. Remember that at the time of Paul writing this letter, the Roman Empire is firmly in power of the ancient Near East and its neighboring lands, Corinth, which would be in ancient Greece. A common practice that the people of Corinth would have been familiar with was for a Roman general to march through a city after a military victory. Walking alongside the general would be his fellow soldiers, sharing in the glory of a big win. But in front of the procession, chained hand and foot, were freshly captured servants from the conquered land. Now, which group does Paul joyously compare the church to? To the fellow victorious soldiers walking with the general? No, Paul compares the Christians, saying thanks be to God, to the captives in chains. And his further talk around aromas would have been in reference to perfumes or incense that were carried by the captives leading this processional. So what Paul is saying is that Christians are these captives, chained hand and foot, whose smell is associated with a victorious general who's just captured them and destroyed their homeland. Now, many questions may be arising in your minds at this point, but an important one among them is probably, why aren't the Christians the fellow soldiers walking with their general in victory? I'm glad you asked. We begin to get an idea of what Paul's getting at in chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. To the Corinthian people, Paul writes this, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives Life. Now notice some language here. He says, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What was written on tablets of stone? The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Who was their intended recipient? The Israelite people who were being led by Moses. What was inscribed on those stone tablets? The law, or as Paul puts it, the letter. Verse 6, he has made us competent as ministers of a, new, of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now follow with me because this is where things get a little crazy. Paul continues, verses 7 and 8. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? In Exodus chapter 34, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, having just received the Ten Commandments from God, and after spending time with God, Moses' face is literally glowing so brightly the Israelites can't look at him directly. It's too bright, it's too glorious. Again, verses 7 and 8. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Okay, now Paul begins to make his point in verse 9. Stick with me. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
He refers to the law as the ministry that brought condemnation. Why? Because no one could follow the law perfectly. No one could follow the rules and regulations laid out in those first five books of the Bible. And with failure to follow the law, with failure, failure to follow those stone tablets, well, that came with sin. And with sin came condemnation from your community, from priests, and most importantly, from God himself. And Paul is saying that if even that ministry of unattainable perfection was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Now with a flourish, he writes in verses 10 and 11, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? All right, I know that this is a lot to throw at you. So, what's the difference? What's the difference between the old covenant, the ministry of condemnation, and this new covenant, the ministry of righteousness? The difference is in who gets the glory. See, if Christians were the fellow soldiers walking alongside the general, then the glory would be shared. We've done this together. We worked hard for this and we did it. That's the law. That's works earning your way to heaven by doing good things and living a good life. But notice who Paul says the Christians are. He says that the Christians are the captives. Captives receive no glory. They haven't achieved a thing. They belong to the general and they alert the world that he's coming with perfume and incense. The general gets the glory. All of it. Paul is breaking down the difference between works and grace. In a model of works like the law, there is a chance, albeit next to impossible, to earn salvation. To do enough exactly the right way to work your way into heaven. Those are the fellow soldiers. But Paul is saying, no, that's not what Christianity is about. In Christianity, Jesus Christ has conquered death, our former master, and has taken us bound hand and foot as his captives. In Christianity, General Jesus has captured all those who believe in him, dragging them away from the land of sin. We had no part in that victory. We cannot earn our salvation by our own actions. We are not his fellow soldiers. We are his captives. That's what Paul is saying. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are his captive. He has captured you. He has claimed you for himself, and you are meant to carry his perfume, his incense, to show the world that you belong to him. And remember this relationship between longing, between belonging and glory. If you belong to him, then he receives the glory. You are his captive. By going to the cross, a cross deserved by you, by me, and by the rest of humanity, Jesus Christ single-handedly defeated the forces of sin and death like a victorious general. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, you are granted faith in him, and that faith in him makes you his captive. But the chains on your hands and feet are the paradoxical chains of freedom. We are bound to him. 
We belong to him. He is our Lord. He gets the glory, not us. We are merely alerting the world that he's on his way. This is precisely what Paul and the Protestant reformers after him were trying to point out to the church. This is solely Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Paul is saying you cannot earn it. He's earned it for you so we can live lives of true freedom, captive to his grace, love, and majesty. That is solely Deo Gloria. Through scripture, Christ is revealed to a desperate, needy world. Through faith in his life, death, and resurrection by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are saved from the powers of death and darkness and made captives to life and light. And as his captives, we lead his procession, utilizing perfumes and incense to tell the world that he's coming. Well, would you look at that Advent? It's nearly here. To God and to God alone be the glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.